Welcome to The Game Doctor, where I, Dr. Phil, diagnose games on how fun they are, offer evidence-based strategy advice, and give a second opinion on what could make games even better. And of course, this is the home of the Rosen blog. Now let's get into the episode. Hello, and welcome to The Game Doctor. My name is Phil, and I'll be your Game Doctor today. So I'm going to review a couple of games that I played in the month of February 2023, and uh, three games in particular, some games that I've really enjoyed playing and that I was hyped to play uh, since Essen. Some of these are, some of these games are on my Essen, you know, playlist from back last year. So happy to have had the chance to try these out and really excited to talk about them. So let's go into the first game. It's going to be Beer and Bread. So this is a game for two players, plays in about 30 to 45 minutes, designer Scott Alms. Uh, from other designs such as the Tiny Epic series, like Tiny Epic Galaxies, which I do enjoy. I've only played it once, but I, I really liked its design. And we do own Tiny Epic Quests, I believe, where it's kind of the 4X in a you know, 30, 40 minute uh, time frame. And that was enjoyable as well. And, you know, I'm I'm a fan of uh, I've become more and more of a fan of these uh, crunchier games that are tightly packed into a, a smaller time frame, almost like a filler filler plus type of experience, uh, just because time is shorter than it used to be for for me and our family situation right now. So beer and bread, I think, spoke to me because of that small time frame. It's a card-based game with resource management, which is something that I am immediately drawn to anyway. And it's kind of got that harvest uh, theme to it as well, which if you know me and you know this podcast, you know that I'm a fan of Agricola and all things Uwe Rosenberg, which tends to be more farming related. It's just a very cozy you know, setting for the game. Perhaps there, I will talk about some thematic integration in this game, but for the most part, you know, even if it's just the background noise or or background art, you know, for a certain game, and even and even if it's mechanically tough and crunchy, still that overlaying farm, harvest, you know, nature kind of theme is is something that really sets the mood just right and and creates a, an experience that I love going back to over and over again, especially if it has a solo mode, but. In this game, you know, it is unfortunately only two players, although I wouldn't be surprised if someone made a solo variant of it. But anyway, let's talk about the thematic, uh, or before I go into the theme, let's talk about some of the the overview of the game rules, right? Uh, In a nutshell, you, as I said, this is a card-based game where you and your opponent have, uh, you know, hands in your card that you draw, and you alternate rounds, and you know the odd numbered rounds are the bountiful years, the even number rounds are the dry years, and uh, and so it, what you're doing is basically playing cards to your tableau to to your side of the board, um, either to gain resources to be able to spend for uh, beer and bread, which are also on these multi-use cards to gain you know scoring points for the for the end game. Or you can play these cards to use them for their unique special actions as well. And um, so basically you're kind of cycling through these options of how to play these cards. And in the Bountiful Years, 
what you do is you, um, similar to Seven Wonders, where you draft a card, you play it, swap hands, and from that new hand, you get to play a card in whatever manner you'd like. And you go back and forth for the bountiful year. And then you transition to the uh, dry year, where you pick up all the cards that you used to play resources with, and you get the choice to play them down as, you know, one of these, uh, one of the ways that you'd get to play these cards anyway, right? Like as resources or um, points or, you know, what have you. But you also have a sideboard in these dry years specifically where you can draw um, from a market of, of a couple of cards and you can swap a card for one of those and immediately play that down. There is no swapping hands in the dry year. You play all the cards until you're uh, done, basically. Alternate back to a bountiful year. Drop some new cards from the deck. Repeat, you know, rinse and repeat until the end of the game, which uh, I don't, I forgot. I think it's seven or eight rounds or so. But And then you, and you score based off of the lowest uh, point amount of either your beer or your bread. And... So it gives that similar tension in scoring to games akin to uh, Reiner Knizia, such as Tigris and Euphrates, is the game that comes to mind where you do score the lowest amount of whatever you're accumulating across the board, hence promoting diversity. So in this game, I like, first of all, I like the the card management multi-use card system uh, that you have here. It's, uh, it creates an opportunity for a lot of decisions and good decisions to be made on your turn, whether to um, build up resources to save up for a certain card that you have that you want to score, to use them for a unique ability, and always keeping in mind that you're going to be in the bountiful years at, at least, be or the fruitful years, be passing that along to your opponent. Hopefully not having them play that down or recognize that you are going for a certain strategy with that card and hopefully being able to have that return to you in order to play it as such. And so I, I really like the tension and the, the good decision space that you have there, but I also like the opposite end with the dry years where you're kind of limited with the cards that you have already played for resources as well as the limited options that are available on that side market board next to the board. And so to me, it feels like there is a little bit of thematic integration with these mechanisms during these years. I can imagine, you know, in the setting of this world where you have like two neighboring villages that share a water source and, you know, they have this competition to make beer and bread is, is basically the, the theme and setting of this game. But in a bountiful year, you, you know, you have so many resources that you're willing to share with your neighbors across the way and um, share, you know, in, you know, engage in trade, as it were. Um, and so that I feel like that is well represented with the card swapping, the hand swapping and card drafting. But then those dry years, resources are are tighter, you know, and the harvest that you're going to get is smaller. And therefore, I feel like it is thematically integrated by keeping your own hand personal and not passing it to your opponent and fighting over some of those market cards, which may benefit both of you if they are good cards. And so I love the tension that is brought there and the alternating 
decision spaces that are brought in each of the two different eras or or years, as it were. So I really like that. the The rules are simple enough that and and it's one of those games that I feel like is is easy to learn. It's it's on the easier end to approach and digest uh, mechanism wise, but the depth of the gameplay comes from the variety and uniqueness of each card. Once again, not only it being a multi-use nature of how these cards are are used, each one has a unique way to be used for a, a certain power, which I uh, I'd love, right? And so you can use some to increase the amount of resources that you can hold. Um, some will help you um, pay for a, you know a beer or a bread faster, um, or you know knock off the cost of something like that, etc. You know there are a lot of different ways. Uh, to use these cards, and there are a lot of different cards in this game that, and I, and I appreciate a game where you don't get to see all the cards in a single sitting. Um, I compare it to like Race for the Galaxy, which in and of itself is a really good game, and I enjoy uh, for other reasons other than the the fact that you do get to really cycle through that deck, especially at higher player counts. And you know there there is a a setting for that, but in this game. You know, since all of these cards do have, I think, a more unique flavor to them, it is nice to at least in one game just be um, be in the unknown for a little bit, especially at the beginning, to see if you do end up getting a certain card or a couple of cards that may work well together. And, and, and the opportunity to uh, have this game be mastered as well by understanding the majority of those cards, since there aren't too many of these, I think there's about 50 or 60, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, as opposed to a game where there are endless, seemingly endless cards like Terraforming Mars and Ark Nova, where it might be a little bit tougher to really get used to the deck and understand the, you know, the game after multiple plays. And that is something that I am a fan of, is does a game have legs and does it allow for replayability and I think this would not only because it's short to play but it's it's approachable to master it's not easy to master but it's difficult uh, it, it provides a you know just a deep enough challenge to be able to replay enough and really understand the cards and the game itself uh, to make it so that you're starting to not just play the game but to play the player your opponent as well so I think that it has that that option available to it in a setting and with mechanisms that feel very good, and I think they work well together. Some people might think that this game is a little bit too random, where if you'd get the right amount of resources and cards, and like especially those really high-scoring beer and bread cards that require like seven resources to, to complete, you only start with nine resource uh, containers or you know storage spaces. Um, so as you're collecting through and you max out, sure, maybe you even draw into a card that matches all the resources that you, that you have. And great, you know, you can play that, you know, use those resources and play for a, a high scoring card. But I think that it, you know, it, it is hard to do. And I think the better approach, of course, is to maybe accumulate, you know, a few resources here and there, maybe get halfway through your storage space and then kind of go for those mid-range cards, or mi at least the mid-range point cards uh, for beer and bread. So that you that way you can accumulate both at the same rate and accumulate more and more during the game, 
rather than banking on some of those really high scoring cards that um, <clears throat> maybe are a little bit more prone to the luck of the draw with resources and those cards as well. But, but I feel like the strategy to this game is to be able to maximize those mid-range point cards as much as possible and gaining the resources to do so, so you can accumulate them throughout the game and have a decent score and not rely and put you know too many eggs in one basket for those really high scoring cards. Perhaps using them for resources or for their unique abilities is most often what you might turn to with those cards, but you never know. And uh, maybe there's a situation where you're behind in points and you get you know just everything matching up perfectly and you can play those for a uh, you know for a lot of points and maybe after multiple plays to see how well balanced this game is as well because that's another issue that you have with these unique multi-card uh, games is how well balanced will it be in the end are there some cards that are just really overpowered and if you have them and play them the chances of you winning are better I don't know and that requires a lot of dedicated play and understanding of the game which I think for me would be an opportunity well um, well served and and something that I would be really interested in doing uh, because you know it it just hits all the you know checks all the right boxes for me as far as theme and mechanisms go but um, but that that is a question that will remain unanswered until this is uh, more easily replayed so I I'm a really big fan of this game I give it an eight out of ten. Um, it, and it, more plays would be deemed necessary to make sure that this game does not feel repetitive as well. Um, I, because of the lightness of the rules, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really hoping that this is a game that elevates above the table and is a game that you can really engage with your opponent because of that card drafting and hand swapping that you do. And, uh, you know, if you play with a player that has played this game multiple times as well, it gets to that element, that, that same, you know, decision space and, and metagaming that you see in games like Race for the Galaxy. And, and so, yeah, so I'm, I would love to play this game a lot more. There is a game though, of course, if you know me that I think I would gravitate towards more and that would be Oranian Burke Canal. Um, stay tuned, you know, here in a couple months, I will release another review. I, I did my first impressions, I think, a, a few months back when this was on, um, not not on GameFound, but afterwards, you know, after I've had a chance to play it on Tabletop Simulator. But I have it pre-ordered. I'm waiting for a copy. And once I do get a couple of two-player games under my belt, um, it's a very, very similar game with resource management and and card play, but definitely more complex than Beer and Bread. And so because of that complexity, there's, you know, it bumps it up a, a notch a little bit uh, in terms of, of decision space and, and crunchiness. I And I think I would really, would I would love to play that game more. And I think I would choose that game more often than beer and bread. But, you know, in, in the case that this is, you know, released digitally and, you know, you get to play this a little bit more often in, in, in my circumstances, I, I think I would definitely play it um, as much as I could. So I, I give it an 8 out of 10 right now. Um, I, I really enjoyed my experience with this game so far. 
and lo would love to explore it a little bit more, even if it doesn't compare to some of my other favorite two-player games, such as Oranian Burger Canal or even Patchwork. Um, th this might this might be at the same level, or it might beat out Patchwork for me, uh, just because of the card play and, and and things like that. And so, I really enjoyed Beer and Bread, and, and it's a high recommend for me. So the next game on my list to talk about is one that was not necessarily on my list to begin with when I previewed the game's last Essen, but is a game that a lot of people have been talking about and did pop up very highly on the meta list of all of the reviewers who reviewed the top games from last year, 2022, and that is Flamecraft. And so Flamecraft, it being a somewhat lighter game, uh, was uh, when I saw it available on digitally to try out you know i i did have some time and i tried it and uh, i'm excited to talk about my thoughts on it as well but uh flamecraft is a game for one to five players it plays in about an hour designer manny vega its weight is is pretty light it's a 2.7 2.17 excuse me and in this game what you're doing is building out a shared board with these different shops in town, right? And in these shops, you can play dragon cards to them. You have these kind of like basic dragons, which all, depending on their certain type, they share an ability that they can do, right? Um, and what you're basically doing is uh, traveling around to these shops, either um, playing, you know, or uh, gathering the resources that are listed on the shop, as well as the dragons that are played to that shop, and then activating one of those basic dragons to do an action like play a dragon from your hand, switch a dragon from this location to another one, and then activate that one, drawing a dragon card, etc. Um, and then, so you basically have you have some resource and action uh, selection there. Um, you can activate some of these unique shops as well, and I'll talk about those in a bit. But you also can um, go to a space and fulfill an order that is uh, shared among all players that are in the middle of the board. If you have enough resources and you go to a shop that matches the main, uh, I guess, resource type of, or, you know, of, of that card, then you can go ahead and claim that card, given the resources, and take those for points. And you basically go around until, uh, and I should say that once you do play three dragons to a location, a new one is drawn, and added to the town. Once the town is filled with 12 shops, the game ends, and whoever has the most points wins. And so, um, there. Are, in addition to that, there are some unique dragons that you can draw, which can give you some abilities during the game. Uh, I believe those are the soul cards or the sun cards, and then the moon cards are the ones that can give you some points for end game objectives. And so there are other rules here and there, but that's kind of a gist of how this game plays. And I admit I was skeptical at first, and the reason that I did not, I think, add this to the list of games that I wanted to try initially from Essen was that I, I, I thought this game would be a little bit too light for my tastes. And the I, I felt like when I saw those dragon cards, those basic ones that you play to your shops, they all share the same abilities based on the same color and type that, that they are, right? And so I thought, uh, you know, it's not going to be that heavy and it's not going to be that fun because there is not a lot of uniqueness or variation among those dragons. And so what I did not realize was how unique and how variable 
the shops were that come out. You start with six shops, and I think this may vary based on player count, but you start with a, a amount of basic shops, and no, yeah, you do start with six because there are like six resource types, you know, that you have in the game. And then the other six shops that are added to the game as the game goes along add that variety. There are a lot of different shops that could be played that you kind of choose from and shuffle in to a draw pile with unique actions that you can take if you visit there that can make every game feel a little bit different. And I appreciate that. And, and just just the um, setup randomness of it is enough to make it feel like it is replayable. But, you know, I, I do feel like that my my initial impressions of the um, lack of variety in these dragon cards is not, it, it's actually a good thing because I, f I feel like now after playing the game, if each of those dragon cards functioned a little bit differently, the, I feel the board would get a really overwhelmed with different, di you know, different dragons and, and different unique abilities. Um, the way that the board is set up as well, if I can imagine on a physical, in a, in a physical setting where, you know, if you're sitting uh, opposite of, of a shop, uh, the the dragons that are placed in the shop would be upside down to you, and therefore the the text would be upside down and, and difficult to read. Having all the dragons have the same abilities makes it easier to know that, oh, I see the anvil dragon, you know, or, or um, actually, I don't know if they're, <laughs> if they follow the basic, you know, resources that you gain to, but, but you have like the, the red dragon or the gray dragon um, out in the board, even if they're upside down to you, you can still, you still know what they do because they're all the same. And therefore it makes it easier for you to calculate and decide the action. If you do choose to go to that shop, you can choose, you know, which dragon to activate and it makes it a lot easier to do as well as to gain the resource that you, you do once you visit a shop. And so I, I do like the simplicity of that and it makes it a lot smoother of a, of a game experience. It makes it a lot quicker to understand the game, the board game state and to, to make a decision on how to play. And so the lightness of this game, I think benefits this game rather than it lacking uh, for complexity. But I, I really like the, you know, the variability of shops. I like the solo mode as well. Uh, and the AI opponent is really easy to maneuver and it creates that tension and, and the scarcity of resources because it, you know, it goes to shops. Um, and if you happen to visit on the shop, you'd have to pay a resource to the general supply as you would, you know, another player if they were attending that shop as well. And so, and then taking the enchantment cards or the order fulfillment cards away from you, you know, adds to that, that tension, right? Like, oh, I hope that the AI, you know, doesn't this turn take away the enchantment from, you know, th this particular, you know, resource set or, or shop type that I want to go to and, and do, you know? And so, so I, I like that. It's really easy to, to upkeep and allows for more time for you to approach this game. Now, I, so I was impressed with this game and I was pleased and my expectations were met. Um, well, I, I, I guess they were exceeded because I thought this game would be too light. Um, I, I do feel, though, that this game isn't too heavy enough for, for my liking to be able to really sink my teeth into with multiple plays. I look at a game like Wingspan 
I don't know the weight complexity that has been voted on an onboard game geek off the top of my head, but in my experience, I do feel like Wingspan is very similar to this game where the rules are very approachable, but I do think that the gameplay and the depth of of strategy in Wingspan, even though it is a light game and, and people, you know, it, it does not compare to games like Ark Nova, well, in, in certain ways, but as far as um, <clears throat> like the analysis of, of each turn and the decision space and depth that you would have, uh, even though it does not fit a heavy game per se, I still feel like it is heavier than Flamecraft is. And therefore, you know, I think it hits a sweeter spot for me as far as light rules and, you know, easy to learn, hard to master versus Flamecraft, where I think it's it's pretty easy um, and it's very breezy and easy to bring out with, you know, folks who do not play a lot of board games or do not have a preponderance for deeper games as well. And therefore, um, you know, it, I, there are other games in this sort of vein that I think I would gravitate towards a little bit more. Um, one game, I mean... I'm going to be talking about Calico here in a second, but like Cascadia is, I think, a game that fits this weight limit um, that I would rather play more so than uh, than Flamecraft. Uh, for I, I yeah, I, I think uh, I, I think if there were a little bit more of a uh, tougher, you know, decision space to to make and. Um, it's hard to say, like, I, I do want to play this game a little bit more. I rated it a 7 out of 10 for now, but I, I, I think I would find it a little bit more repetitive, even though I do appreciate, and I think it comes down to the dragon, basic dragon cards. I think I appreciate it being, you know, easy enough to know what they do so everyone around the table can understand it and we're from wherever they're sitting so they don't have to retext. But at the same time, I think there if there was another mechanism in there to just up the complexity a little bit more to create for a little bit of a deeper um, decision space. Perhaps not only having, you know, the end game objectives or the enchantment cards for order fulfillment, but if there's like a third way to, to generate points, I think that would probably fit the bill for me. But I, I would play this again just to see if it does uh, um, become a little bit more of a a challenge and a uh, more of a deeper and more complex experience. Not not too much, but you know, it, it would get closer to that mid-range, you know, mid-weight um, sweet spot that I do find other games like Wingspan approaching better. So th- those are my thoughts on, on Flamecraft. Uh, definitely a fun game, but uh, not, I think not the one that speaks to me the most out of the Essen games that I've played so far. Before I move on, something that I, I do did appreciate with this game that I think would allow me to approach this game again is the solo mode itself. I liked the challenges and achievements that you get to unlock as you play. It kind of gives some direction to try to achieve uh, during each game. And so I think it it allows a scaffolding for you to explore this game a little bit more uh, and try different things. And so I would be interested in doing that. And I think that would be the litmus test that would help me know well, if I do pursue some different courses during this game, <clears throat> would that make the multiplayer experience and the experience playing with, you know, other people rather than just the AI solo bot, if that would make it a uh, an exciting and enriching experience for me? So, yeah, 
I forgot to mention that as as I was looking through my notes here, but uh, but yeah, I, I I do enjoy this game, and hopefully we'll get a chance to play it again. So finally, um, I want to talk about Calico, which is of course not a recent release. This was released back in 2020, I believe. Yeah, and so so this game is probably one of the games that kind of set down um, flat out games along a path of of being a game a publisher to watch for. You know, they they also published uh, Cascadia, uh, which I probably will talk about in the future. I do own it and enjoy playing it, <laughs> but um, but yeah, in preparation too for the upcoming release of the digital app for Calico, I wanted to play this a little bit more just to see if it was something that I would be interested in uh, owning. And so uh, this is a game for one to four players. It plays in about 30 to 45 minutes, designed by Kevin Russ. And so in Calico, you're gathering these tiles, which have different colors and different patterns on them. And there's a, you know, all the variations of these, some of these, these tile or color and pattern combinations are duplicated as well. But on your turn, you're basically choosing from uh, three tiles that you have in front of you. You, you choose one to play to your board, um, and then you pick one out from the marketplace, and play goes around until everyone has filled out their board. The way that you can score in this game is very... There are a lot of ways to score, right? <clears throat> in, in, the, in the base game, you have um, three patches in the middle of your quilt board where... Um, uh, it gives you some kind of scoring objectives to pursue where the it counts the tiles around those that central scoring tile and based on the colors and patterns that are listed on that on the requirements for that tile uh, if you score either colors if, if if it matches the colors and everything then you score you know the lower of the two point values that are listed on that tile if you can match both the patterns and the colors to the to the scheme that is provided you get both of those points, right? Or the higher of the two, at least, at the very least. Um, you can score, you know, points for having three of a of the same color next to each other. You get three points for, you know, placing a, a set of three. Uh, and then there are also three different cats with different requirements, like playing five tiles of a certain pattern uh, in a row, you know, or having a group of six different um, tiles of a certain pattern. So the colors can can mix. They don't have to be the same color. And then you can get some points from there too. <clears throat> so you're balancing a lot of different ways to get gain points from those those middle scoring tiles as well as the um the cats that are available to everyone basically to to try and achieve as well as getting enough buttons placed onto your board for collections of colors, right? And so the, this game is a very tight and, and crunchy game because even though the rules are pretty simple, knowing where to place those tiles creates for a very deep abstract puzzle, basically. The setting is very cozy, right? You know, you're thinking about cats and making a quilt. It reminds me a lot of Patchwork. Um, I do feel like that this game is a more, it's a deeper of a puzzle than, say, a game like Patchwork. Or even Cascadia, I think uh, the the tightness and and the uh, the waning decision space that you get as you fill out your you know quilt board more and with more tiles, the options that you have available start to diminish as you 
uh, run out of spaces to place tiles. And so, um, so you spend a lot of time just looking at your board and trying to maximize if, if you're going obviously for the most amount of points and, and really trying to, um, interact with every single situation and scenario that you can gain, that you can gain points from by placing certain tiles, even though this is a very quick playing game on its surface, if you are playing to maximize, it's going to take a while and maybe a little bit too long for my tastes. Cause I think, I think the, the tension of the, the decisions that you get to make, if you really want to maximize everything can, can really lead to some analysis paralysis in this game. And so, you know, compare that to the kind of looseness that Cascadia has as well. Um, the theme of Cascadia is, uh, better received on my end. I like the, the art and the nature, you know, themed, um, component of that game and being able to kind of place tiles on a unlimited board, right? You're not limited like you are in Calico with a certain amount of time, uh, tiles or spaces to play your tiles. But in Cascadia, you get to kind of expand out based off of, you know, where you are. And even though you don't have any limits, I do feel like the decisions are a little bit easier to approach in that game. And I feel like are, it's a little bit quicker to play. And therefore I, I, I feel not, you know, I don't feel guilty taking a little bit more time to try to figure out the best move in that game. Um, not only is it easier to do compared to Calico, but, um, yeah, I think it's a little bit more fun. So I, I give Calico a seven out of 10. I think the experience is really fun. The setting is really cozy and, you know, it's a really good puzzle. And if you really enjoy these abstract puzzle games, then Calico is definitely up your alley. But I think for me, I would I think I would rather play games like Cascadia where it does feel a little bit more open and paradoxically a little bit easier to play and approach strategically. Um, maybe that's just the way that my mind works. Or another abstract game that I love is Santorini, where the abstract portion of the game is pretty simple, you know, as far as moving your workers and what you're trying to accomplish, but the variability that you have with Santorini and the God cards, I think creates that flavor that I enjoy a little bit more. Now with Calico, there are different ways to play the game, uh, different limitations that you can use for uh, the way that you uh, play your tiles. Like you, you can only score those middle scoring tiles if both the patterns and the colors match but those limitations make it even more challenging. And I thought the base game was challenging enough if you want to, you know, be a perfectionist and really score high. And so I, I felt like I could approach, uh, you know, a little bit closer to perfection uh, after a handful of plays. It's it's not a hard game to learn or, or at least understand the rules of, of play. But, you know, as soon as I kind of understood what was going on, and and sought to try to maximize amount, the amount of points that I had. The, the, I, I felt like my turns were just taking a little bit too long for my comfort. Um, I, I would rather have a decision space that would allow me to take, you know, a decent amount of time on my turn to to execute an action so I feel clever. And, I mean, you can feel really clever if you do get the right tiles in the right spaces. But a part of that is kind of the luck of the draw as well. You know, and if you're waiting for a certain tile to come out of the bag uh, and it never comes, then, you know, you, you just kind of lose out. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I felt like 
Um, a lot of it was was kind of luck at the draw, uh, and a little bit of a portion of it was kind of okay. Let me strategically place these these tiles here and hopefully wait you know and hope for the best. And ultimately, you're not going to get away from that with these abstract games like Cascadia or Calico, but. But but then making those decisions and planning for the future just took a lot of time and a lot of puzzling in, for my tastes to make it so that it, it was a little bit less enjoyable compared to the decisions that I was making with games like Cascadia. So those are my two cents on Calico. I really enjoyed it, and uh, it's a 7 out of 10 for me, but some abstract puzzle games, I think, would rank higher in for my tastes. Uh, in comparison to Calico. So those are the games that I played in February and had the chance to kind of dive a little bit deeper into. And uh, I am super excited for March. It is my birthday month, and I do have a lot of games coming in that I hope to get played. I want to play Mosaic a lot more. as It's a game that I own now and want to, to dive into a little bit more. Brazil Imperial as well is coming and uh, War of the Ring, the card game, is also coming, in addition to Earth and, of course, Oranian Burger Canal that I mentioned as well. So, so those are some of the games that I will physically own and will get to play with other people, hopefully. And so I'll have something more to say on those games in the future and upcoming months. And a little, a little bit later on, of course, in February I'll, or in March this, this month, I'll talk about I'll probably talk about uh, Oranian Burger Canal for the Rosen blog for this month. Um, stay tuned for some more topic discussions with Jacob as well. We have some things cooking in the back, and hopefully it'll create for some enjoyable content content that you can listen to. But uh, appreciate the listen, and uh, you know, go ahead and and leave a comment on what you feel like I got right or wrong about my impressions of these games on the board game. Uh, geek blog post, uh, leave a review wherever you listen to these podcasts and, uh, and leave any feedback or suggestions that you'd love to hear. And I'm welcome to those as well. But for now, uh, thank you for listening again. Hope you schedule an appointment with your game doctor real soon, and I'll catch you on the next one.